You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are on the same journey to master their photography. I am Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm solo again today, and I'm going to share my top five things photographers need in a monitor. I know I'm on this top five kick, but actually, I'm going to do six things, but it sounds better with top five. Anyway, let's start off with a couple of other miscellaneous things first, and then we'll get into the things that photographers need to look for in a computer monitor. So software update status. Microsoft has released a new build of Windows 10 here in the last part of May 2020, and this release is called Windows 10 2004, but it's not like 2004 the year. It's more like 20 is the 2020 and 04 is the month that it was (laughs) supposed to be released. Anyway, as always, I highly recommend that photographers wait before installing the new build. There isn't a ton of new functionality that photographers should be excited about in, in Windows 10 2004 either. Uh, there's actually not much new functionality just like overall. There's security updates, which are always good. And there's kind of a big under the hood thing called Windows Defender System Guard in this one that photographers are going to want eventually (laughs) when I give the all clear. We'll see how Microsoft does. They've been kind of working on this for a while and they delayed like to the very last minute of May here. They, They said this release was coming in May and it was almost not May when they released it. So I hope... That means they just like really thoroughly tested it and it's all good. But like I said, if you if you can't afford bumps, you're a Windows user and you are relying on your computer for your business, just wait. Just wait for a little bit before you go and grab it. If you're interested in knowing more about the new features, there's also there's stuff like virtual desktop naming. Uh, there's a Windows update troubleshooting tool called Setup Diag. There's a few things. Most of them are, like I said, not interesting to photographers, but there'll be a link in the show notes over to Microsoft's post about this, what's new. I also need to tell you, I still don't recommend the most current version of Photoshop. Version 21.0.3 is the version with the Photo Taco seal of approval. I still think you should stay away from the 21.1.x version so far. I hope Adobe will get things kind of fixed in there so that I can recommend it. The other side note that I wanted to give you was my Lightroom hardware testing project. Now, if you're not a consistent listener to the Photo Taco podcast, you may not have even heard of this, but I am doing a lot of work to try to test various aspects of hardware, computer equipment that go along with the performance of Lightroom. Uh, For example, in February, I did a Photo Taco episode that showed you kind of the testing results of performance of external drives with Lightroom Classic. Like, does it matter where the catalog is versus where the photos are on like SSD storage, internal storage, uh, USB 3.0 connected storage? What's the deal? What does it matter? And so um, I want to do a whole bunch of testing like that. That was one example, one part of what I want to do. I want to try to automate it. I'm calling it the Lightroom Hardware Testing Project. 
And it's nothing like my friends over at Puget Systems yet with their Lightroom Classic benchmark. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. They also have an online database that they're building um, that benchmark, you know, records a bunch of benchmark tests specific to Lightroom and how your computer, like, like the processor you've got, the memory you've got, the hard drives you've got, the GPU, all of that kind of put together. They take note of what equipment is in the computer and then they uh, they are like gathering, having people run these benchmarks and gathering data on it. So if you're interested, you can click in the, the links in the show notes to see that kind of stuff. But I'm really excited about this because I think that will really help photographers. We're, a lot of us are on a budget of some kind. Maybe not as tight a hobbyist budget as I have for photography equipment, but a budget that has uh, implications for your business. There's only so much you can spend on computer hardware and you have to live with it for a while. So making choices about what you're going to buy and knowing what actually matters with running Lightroom and Photoshop is kind of a big deal to me. That's what I really want to make sure I provide the listeners. And so I'm working on that and I'm making some progress. There's this tool called Auto IT that allows you to do um, automating of keyboards, keyboard codes and like, you know, hitting enter, hitting up, hitting down, left, right, and mouse movement. And I combining that with some stuff, uh, some other things, and, and I'm able to now fully automate the process of like rocking sliders back and forth in Lightroom. I can do it for a whole minute as fast as the computer will let it go. It's going to be super consistent and I'll be able to monitor resource utilization, like how much CPU, how much memory, how much GPU, how much of the disk storage speeds is used during those, you know, moving those sliders. And if Adobe makes a release and they say, yeah, we've made, we've improved performance on, you know, one of these sliders or multiple of these sliders, I'd be able to do like an apples to apples or before and after comparison and kind of validate like how much of a difference does it make. And I, I'm excited about that. I'm making progress. It's not ready. It's not done. But I, I have made some some really good progress. By the way, in June, Photo Taco, I'm going to be talking with Matt Bach from Puget Systems. And we're going to talk about this uh, benchmark stuff that they've got going along with like AMD versus Intel for running Lightroom and Photoshop. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're subscribed to the Photo Taco podcast. All right, let's get to the main topic now. Five things photographers need in a monitor. I've had a lot of photographers reach out to me recently. And you know, that's kind of how I judge what I should be doing in an episode. Questions that I'm getting, if there's enough photographers asking questions, then I will consider writing a guide over at Photo Taco, the computer buying guides, for example, that help guide photographers on what do they need to buy in buying a computer, especially the Mac computers with um, MacBook Pros, the iMac and the Mac Mini. I have guides for all those. And I, I have some guides for Windows too. But I tell you kind of based on my experience and that this testing I just mentioned, what's in there and what's in those guides. But I get I get lots of questions. And if I get enough of them, not only will I write on Photo Taco about the topic, I'll do an episode, a podcast episode on the topic. And that's what's happened here. So there's lots of photographers that are needing my advice on a monitor, a computer monitor for their photo editing computer. And I thought I would do a full episode so I can pull, point people to it. And I'm going to have the show notes, the, the notes, most of the notes will be over at Photo Taco, but the show notes will have a lot of detail of everything I'm talking about here. So you don't have to remember it all or write it down. Just go to the show notes. There'll be links. You can get to everything. All right. So I have a list of five and it's actually six 
things. It's just the sixth one like barely counts. So, so it's still really five. But five things photographers need to look at or know about need in a computer monitor. And let's start with physical size. So, you know, most people are very used to shopping for TVs by physical dimensions, uh, especially, you know, since HD came about. We have these flat TVs now that have very high resolutions and we're used to talking about like, you know, an 85 inch, a 65 inch or maybe a 105 inch big screen TV now. We're used to doing that. Well, monitors, computer monitors are kind of the same thing and you want, of course, the bigger the better. Just like with TVs, the bigger one you can get, the better, but it has to be within budget, of course. And uh, before I tell you kind of the sizes that you should look for, I also want to tell answer another question that I see a lot. And that's like photographers looking at TVs versus computer monitors. They're like, wow, I can get a much bigger 4K TV that for the same price or less than I can get a computer monitor. And so can I do photo editing on an HD TV or a, sorry, a 4K TV? And the answer is, of course you can. Sure. As long as you can connect it, which today most computers have an HDMI connection. Most TVs have an HDMI connection. So of course you can technically get those two things connected together and have your screen, your computer display show up on the HD or the 4K uh, TV. But there's two problems. There's two downsides to using a TV as a monitor. So the first one is that the pixels that make up a screen on a TV are much larger than those on a computer monitor. So even like a 4K TV, the pixel sizes can be a problem in seeing some of the really fine details that we're looking for as we edit photos, like zooming in one-to-one or more in Lightroom to tune like sharpness and noise reduction, for example. It can be done on a TV for sure. It, It can technically work. But having the pixels be smaller on a computer monitor, it just really helps us to be able to to depict or understand the fine, fine details that we're looking for in sharpness, noise reduction, as an example. So it's, yes, the, the resolutions are similar, but those TVs are usually so much bigger. The pixels are bigger. It's just the fine details are not going to be as clearly depicted on a 4K TV as it would a monitor, a computer monitor. The second downside is that uh, because they're bigger and, uh, well, the automatic things that a TV does, they do a lot of stuff automatically. So they are applying their own algorithms really to just make the output as stunning as they can get it. And people these days the average person, they prefer like super sharp, super bright, high contrast, high saturation things, a, a picture on their TV. That's what they look for. And when they're in the stores and they're shopping for these things, they're like, oh, wow, look at that. Look how sharp that is. Look how bright that is. Look, look at how, how the colors look on that. And the, the TV makers know that and they specifically design their stuff to like enhance whatever comes in and make it look a certain way to be more appealing and sell in the stores. Usually this automatic stuff, you can't fully turn it off. It's built into the TV. You have maybe different modes, like you might have movie versus sports uh, versus like games. I don't know. There might be different modes the TV supports where the automatic algorithm that is being applied to the the input, the video input that the TV is going to show is going to 
you know, look good for that scenario, but you can't usually turn it all the way off. And that can lead to like inaccurate edits of your photos. They're just, these two things are designed for a different purpose. TVs for the consumption of video. It's a media device. Uh, computer monitors are designed to be used with computers. They are better built for it. They work out better. So I, I would recommend a computer monitor over a TV for sure, but it can work. It totally can work. I just think it's a better experience and you're more likely to have an accurate edit of your photos if you're using an actual computer monitor over a 4K TV. Okay, so size-wise, um, 24 inches is the very, very smallest that I would recommend for photographers. I mean, you can get down to like 18 inches. There are some really tiny, tiny monitors that are available. 24 is the the very smallest, and that's really not good, except unless you're going to do something like a 1080p display, then 24 inches, it, like you only want um, 24 inches for a 1080p display is, is a kind of a good combination if that's all you can afford. But the sweet spot is 27 inches. That's absolutely where you want to be as a photographer. And then it's really nice if you can get like 30 or 32 inches. That's a really nice size for a, a computer monitor for editing. Now, there are monitors that are bigger than 32 inches. They tend to be, at least to me, outrageously expensive. And now you're starting to deal with a physical size of a, a screen that is kind of a challenge to have a on your workspace where you're editing your photos. It's kind of tough to be able to fit something that large into a photo editing like workspace. So, you know, that, that's about the general. 24 is the very smallest. I would go with 27 or, if you can, a 30 or 32-inch display for physical size. So that's number one, physical size. Number two, the second thing a photographer needs in a computer monitor is high resolution. Now, go, these go hand in hand, these two things, the physical size of the monitor and the resolution of the monitor. They kind of go together and, and combined kind of make up the, um, the way that it's going to be helpful for you in editing photos. Um, we measure, of course, in inches, the physical size, and then we measure the size or the resolution of the screen in pixels. We are all very used to this. And that means that together we get pixels per inch, right? And, and that's a, an important aspect. So it may seem obvious that photographers want as much pixels per inch as you can get, as high as you can possibly get that. But there's kind of two things that may make it so that you don't actually want to maximize that. We don't want to get the very highest pixels per inch. So let me explain. The first one will be performance. Your computer has to draw all of those pixels. It has to draw it like a whole number of times a second, a lot of times a second too. So the more pixels there are to draw, the more work your computer has to do. Now, we, modern computers have mostly offloaded this, especially if you have a, a GPU in your computer. But even in the, the processor, most have a, enough that they can drive 4K displays. But it still ends up being performance issues, especially like Lightroom in particular. It's not only do they have to draw those pixels, but with Lightroom, you have to render your edits to those pixels. And most of us have cameras that shoot higher than 4K images anyway from our camera. So you're taking higher resolution photos and you're asking Lightroom to be able to paint all of those pixels or, or provide uh, the information to the computer so that it can send it to the monitor of all those pixels. And it, it becomes a performance bottleneck for sure. Um, gamers will easily, they'll very quickly tell you how much harder it is to have their games run at a reasonable frame rate at 4K versus 1080p. A lot of them play at 1080p 
because it's easier for the gaming system to be able to handle that rather than going at 4K. So performance is one of the factors why you may not want like maxing out the resolution, going to 4K or 5K. The other one is, and this one may be even more important. I don't know, performance is pretty important to me, but the size of the buttons and the labels and the menus inside of the software, Lightroom in particular, Photoshop too, when you as you increase the resolution of the monitor, the size of those buttons and labels goes down. So for example, concrete example here, uh, in Lightroom, let's just say that the sliders, all of those controls in the dev module are 16 pixels tall. And I didn't actually randomly pick that. I know they are 16 pixels tall because of what I've been doing with that Lightroom hardware testing project and the automation that I've been looking at. So 16 pixels, that's how big, how tall the, the slider control is on the computer monitor. So when you are looking at that control on a full HD 1080p resolution, that one single control takes about 1.5% of the screen. All right, 1.5%. Still seems like a pretty low number. If you raise the resolution of the display to 2K, it doesn't change how big that control is. It's still 16 pixels. And 2K, that by the way, that's like QHD or 1440p is another thing that people call that. Um, now the size of that drops to 1.1%. It's about 25% smaller. And that's significant as you are looking at things. I find it very usable, especially on a 27-inch or higher physical dimensioned monitor to be able to use a 2K or 1440p monitor with um, at that size. It's a very good combination of, of things there. When you go to UHD 4K or 2160p, now that slider takes 0.7% of the screen and it's like half the size of what it looks like on a 1080p monitor. It just really shrinks. It becomes small. And that can be a challenge. Now, both Windows and Mac have been trying to make this work better by inflating the size and the buttons of text in something called scaling. Uh, it just doesn't work all that well. And so, anyway, let, let's get to that in one second. So, 1080p computer monitor totally will work. Full HD. I just don't think it's an ideal resolution unless you're going down to a 24 inch monitor, then you don't want 4K in a 24 inch monitor for sure. You probably also don't want a 24 inch monitor that does 2K resolution. Cause again, now we have that combination of physical size to pixel dimensions. That's just gonna make really tiny, tiny things on your screen. So if, if you are only gonna be able to do 24 inches, I would go with full HD 1080p as the resolution. If you can get a 27 or 30 or 32 inch monitor, to me, the sweet spot is the 2K resolution. It's the best combination of all those factors. You have plenty of resolution to be able to see the fine details in your images as you're editing. Um, it has good performance. Lightroom does really, really well at 2K. And it um, is a reasonable size of buttons and labels to interact with in the software. It's, to me, the very best resolution here in 2020 to be able to use. So a, a monitor with 4K, which is becoming more and more prevalent, it's almost getting difficult to find uh, a computer monitor that is lower than 4K resolution. 
Um, my challenge with that is those two things, the performance and the thing, the buttons get really small. So like scaling again, this is where that scaling comes into play. Windows and Mac, Apple, Microsoft, they've both been working on this to try to make it so that you can scale things and like use the native resolution of the display, the computer monitor, but scale those buttons and those the width of those controls and everything. And uh, it's still not great. It's still a work in progress here in 2020. I don't think that works well. The other thing you can do is just like, overall scaling, scaling everything, have the OS deal with this, where instead of outputting a 4K resolution to from your computer to the monitor, even though the monitor supports 4K, you will set things up in Windows or Mac to say, yeah, I know that's the maximum resolution. That's That makes buttons and, and labels way too small for me. So I'm going to actually use it at 2K. And that doesn't work as well either. You, you kind of lose a little bit of fine details when you do that like overall scaling approach. So it can work. Some people are, I know I'm going to hear from people like, I love my 4K display. I love my 5K iMac. I get it. That's fine. I'm glad you like it. I'm glad you have a tool that works for you. I'm just telling you my experience and I have both. I've used both for both performance reasons and making sure that I can actually read the screen and hit the button. I prefer 2K as a monitor resolution, but you totally can can pick what you want to do. All right, number three, the third thing I think photographers need in a computer monitor it's a it's a panel technology. So your your computer monitor has lots of pieces that make it up, but the panel is like most of it. That's that's the biggest part of what it is. And today we mostly have LCD screens with a couple of different panels. Thank goodness the CRT days are over. And if you're not very old, you won't know, you won't remember this, but we used to have these computer monitors that were like really massively huge. They weren't flat, flat screens like we have today. And they weighed a ton. And I'm glad those days are over. That's, it's really a much better place to be. When LCD screens first kind of started coming out, the type of panel they used was something called a TN panel. Twisted pneumatic is what it stands for. And they were... Uh, you know, at the time when they first came out, they were relatively expensive, but they got cheaper and cheaper as we ramped up manufacturing, of course. And there was, but there was a problem with that technology too. A TN panel has a viewing angle that where it's best at. And if you don't get just inside that viewing angle, if you don't look at it from a, just the right angle, like straight on the monitor, then it starts to like wash out colors and lose contrast. And so it depends on like how you're sitting in relation to the monitor about how those things look, how the colors look, how the contrast looks. It's a bad thing for photographers who are trying to edit those things. And if you're not looking at it at just the right angle, it could be slightly different from what you're seeing about what you're editing. So you want to avoid a TN panel on an LCD screen. You want to look for an IPS panel, sensor in-plane switching, and it doesn't have those drawbacks. You can look at it from nearly any angle and have it look about the same um, versus the TN panels. It does have a downside where IPS panels don't refresh as fast, but we're doing photography here. That's probably something that's more important to a gamer. And even that has mostly been addressed here in 2020. So you want to look for IPS. You want to make sure that it clearly states it's an IPS panel in the description. If you're searching Amazon or B&H or wherever you're shopping for monitors, you want to make sure it says IPS for the panel technology. All right, number four, the fourth thing photographers need in a computer monitor, HDMI or DisplayPort connections. The way photographers connect to the, their computer to their monitor 
It's another thing that you've got to make sure you get right to get the best possible image quality. And here in 2020, you want to connect either via HDMI or DisplayPort. And this HDMI can be a really good way to connect your computer to your monitor. It can also be a challenge because there's lots of different versions of HDMI. Some of those versions of HDMI max out at 1080p full HD resolutions. So you can have a problem where you bought this nice new computer monitor that supports 2K or 4K resolutions. And if you have a computer card, video card, or even a cable can be the, the bottleneck and it only supports HDMI uh, you know, 1.2, it, it only supports 1080p, you won't be able to drive, you won't be able to get that 2K display or 4K display to work on your computer. So you got to have all of those components working together. You need a video card that does HDMI 1.4, or today I would look for 2.0. And you want, you need a display computer monitor that does HDMI 1.4 or 2.0. And that's usually not going to be a problem. Like you don't have to go and search. Usually if it says it's a, a 2K or a 4K monitor, it's going to have the right HDMI to be able to drive that. But then the cables are the third piece. And that's important. Now, I'll have some links in the show notes to my preferences for a cable that's capable of 4K, uh, like a, just a straight HDMI cable or a USB to HDMI cable, Thunderbolt 3 to HDMI cable. I'll have links to those to make sure you get like a reasonably priced. They don't have to be expensive, but they have to have the right support, the right version of HDMI for this to work. The other technology is DisplayPort, and it's a connection. It also has some challenges. It has multiple looks and names, so it's not the same connector. We all know what an HDMI connector looks like because we use it with our TVs. We also use it mostly with our computers. So we, we know what that is. DisplayPort looked a little different, but it can also look like a Thunderbolt port or a Thunderbolt 3 port in Max. And so that's also a challenge, but it's still a DisplayPort connection that's able to, to drive those things uh, most of the time. So you still, it used to be that I recommended DisplayPort because that was an indicator of the quality of the monitor. If it supported DisplayPort, it's going to have a really good HDMI port too, and it's going to have a certain level of quality. I think that's less of a thing today here in 2020. I don't think that you really have to find one that has DisplayPort because HDMI has become more and more ubiquitous and it does a fantastic job of connecting. But I'll also put in the show notes the cables because again, that's important. You have to have a good cable to be able to get a good connection between your computer and the monitor. So I'll have a, a DisplayPort cable and again, a USB-C or Thunderbolt 3 to DisplayPort to be able to, to use that. All right. The thing to make sure you look for that is not part of a description, sometimes that's as important as what to look for. You absolutely don't really want a monitor that has a VGA connection. Now, some of them still might. So as long as it still says HDMI and or DisplayPort, maybe the both of them, and it offers maybe a VGA, that's probably just a backwards compatibility thing. It might be okay. But I wouldn't go with, you certainly don't want to use VGI as a connection for doing photo editing. You also probably don't really want DVI. That was, it used to be the technology that was like the thing that replaced VGA, uh, especially dual link or DVI-D was something that worked out really well. I wouldn't use that today here in 2020. And so you want to look for HDMI or DisplayPort. All right, the fifth thing that photographers need in a computer monitor and this is color. Now, the first four I went through, I would say those are must-haves. You need to ensure the monitor you choose and the cables you use are using those things that I've talked about. Now we're into an area where it's kind of more of a nice-to-have. Um, if you can find one that fits in your budget and says it has these things, I would choose them over one that does not. 
And that's how it reproduces color, the way it displays color. Um, 100% RGB is a keyword to look for. Now, SR, or sorry, 100% sRGB. And it's not something that, like there's bigger color spaces. Where if you are into color spaces in photography, you'll know you're like, hey, sRGB, that's like the minimum color space I'm going to use. As I export my photos, I know I have to do that because that's what the web supports. But I really want to work in like ProRes or Adobe RGB. And you're right. The bigger color spaces are what you want to work in. But a lot of getting a monitor that actually rep, you know, reproduces all of those colors, they're there, but they are super, super expensive. And it's really not available to most photographers to be able to get something. So 100% sRGB color space is a really cool thing to have if you can get it. Um, the other thing that related to color is something called 10-bit color. Again, it's a nice to have. Most monitors are 8-bit, and that means with 10 bits, you see a little bit more even or smoother gradients. Going from shade to shade to shade of colors works a little better if, with 10-bit because with 8-bit, there's only 256 different shades of, that, of a color that can be shown on the screen. With 10-bit, that jumps up to 1,024. So it's, it's significantly more colors that it can render if it's 10-bit color. And with NVIDIA unlocking their video cards so that almost all of them support 10-bit color these days, it's an advantageous thing to have. We want to reproduce the best color we can with our photos. We work really hard on making sure those skin tones don't look alien and that the sunset doesn't look drab or overcooked on the other side of it. And we, we spend so much time, we calibrate our displays, and I'm not going to go into that in this episode, but we work hard to make sure the colors are good. And that's it, so that our clients or people we share our images with have the best chance of having it look good on whatever they're looking onto. We can't control what they're looking at the images with. Like we can't make sure they have a high quality, 100% sRGB, 10-bit color calibrated display that they're using. They're probably going to look on their phone. But if you can get it really right, really nailed down on your screen, the chance that they're going to be able to see something that looks good increases. Where if it's like mist, if you have the color shifted in a bad way, but and it looks good on your screen, and then your client looks, their their colors may be shifted in an entirely different way, and they they may have a, like a terrible viewing experience. So seeing as many colors, working in the right workspaces, color spaces. All important things in a monitor. If you can, I would get 100% sRGB and 10-bit color. The sixth thing then, kind of sixth thing, <laughs> this is more of a preference. It's not even like we talked about some technical things that we ended up with like some must-haves in the first four and then some might-haves, nice-to-haves in the fifth one. This one's a preference thing. I don't think it really ends up mattering a whole lot, but I think you should, I think photographers should use a flat screen instead of a curved one. Uh, I think the idea of the curved monitors is to provide like a little bit more immersive experience with the gaming. And I think that makes sense. A lot of gaming, you're kind of, you know, moving a character through a scene. And if it's curved, it gives you a little bit more like sense perception of depth and so on. And, and maybe the software does a really good job of accounting for the fact that it's curved. I don't really know that part, but it just seems like it could become a problem. Um, like video games might be accounting for that, but is it is Photoshop and Lightroom really accounting for that? We need to do things like uh, lens distortion. We need to judge that. And if it's curved, I kind of worry that 
we can't judge it as well as we need to. So I just recommend a flat screen over a curved, but that one's more of a personal preference. You'll have to figure out what you want. All right. So there you go. There are the five kind of six <laughs> things that a photographer should look for in a computer monitor to do photo editing. My doodad of the week then is going to be my current recommendation on the monitor I would send people to right now. And I, since I get this question a lot, I'm going to have it here. So I would choose right now, as I looked on Amazon today, I would choose the BenQ PD2700Q. It's a 27-inch 1440p monitor that has 100% sRGB and 10-bit color. So it checks all the boxes of what I went through. Every single one of them is 27 inches, good IPS, good good resolution, 100% sRGB and 10-bit color. So that's an awesome, awesome display to be able to use for photo editing. If you can afford it, and it's about 300 bucks, so it's not even a bad price. It's a reasonable price for that level of quality of what you get in a the monitor. There's others that don't have all those things like 100% sRGB or 10-bit color that are similar like 280, 250. So it's worth the extra 50, 20 dollars to get to this one in my opinion. The 32-inch version is $490. So you're you're getting a few more inches there, five more. It's it's actually significantly bigger to get a 32-inch version, but it's also quite a bit more money at 490 bucks. So you'll have to decide what your budget allows, but those would be my recommendations right now. All right. I want to remind you, masterphotographypodcast.com is the home for the show. If you want to go there and check it out, Facebook, Master Photography Podcast, you can go search for that. You don't have to ask to join the group. We want to keep the spammers and the bots out of there. So you have to name a host on the show. That's Jeff for this episode. Uh, my work is at JS Harmon Photos or phototacopodcast.com. Remember, coming up in June 2020, I'm going to be meeting, we're talking with Puget Systems, Matt Bach, and we're going to talk all nerd out about computer hardware for running Lightroom and Photoshop. You can catch me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'll have all of those links in the show notes as well. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope this helps. I'm really more excited about just having an episode I can point people to as they ask me this question in the future. And uh, I, I'm going to try really hard soon. I, I hope we're going to be able to get some of the others on the team to come on the show. It's just been craziness to get us all together. But thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate all of you listeners so very much. And we'll see you again in another seven days. 